The Athletic. Tony Football Show on a weekend of uncut, unstepped on Premier League action. Arsenal beating Liverpool, Luton's 4-4 at Newcastle, the Sheffield United sandwich controversy and Burnley saved by their sub. With Chelsea and Palace currently rummaging for snaps of their corner flags, we've got all the red-hot Sunday evening reaction to a 41 goal so far, match day 23 in this Totally Football Show. Sunday 4th of February, as we're joined here in the Totally Football Studio by Tim Spears. Hi, Tim. Hi, James. Good. Yes. You're well? Very well. Excellent. Matt Davis-Adams is here. Hello, James. Fresh back from Stamford Bridge. Back from, maybe not fresh, but... Mm, figure we'll be talking about that <laughs> fixture. And on the big screen, from the Côte d'Ivoire, Daniel Story. Bonsoir, How are we? Oh, yeah, very well. You've caught the sun. Yes, uh, it is hot and humid, 37 degrees, 95% humidity at 7 in the evening here. So, wow. yes. Wow. You've already been to two of the uh, quarterfinals in the AFCON. We'll talk about that maybe a little bit later on. But you've also been across the weekend's Premier League action, brilliantly enough. In fact, you were able to see some of the French coverage featuring one of our, you know, one of the friends of the podcast. Yeah, I I came to the Ivory Coast and all I got was this picture of Tom Williams on my TV screen in the in my room. Um, yes, uh, Canal Plus's Match of the Day coverage I think is Saturday. Yeah, and then Sunday is their full coverage. So yesterday he was in with Florence Sinama Pongol, I believe, and today he was uh, yeah he was just in the studio talking us through it. So it's true. I always imagined this was some fanciful excuse he, he <laughs> dreamt up. But what? How did he look? Yeah, impeccable. I don't. My French is is rusty A level, so right. I had to admire him visually rather than audio. But he was speaking French with them. Oh yeah, yeah, he was. He he does this incredible. Uh, he looks incredibly French. He acts incredibly French. He talks incredibly French, and then every now and then he slips in a an English phrase like "you have to fight" in a sort of French accent, which right. is delicious. All right, like a player who's yeah. signed for a foreign club. Nice, it's good to know. Good to know. Anyway, well, so much to talk about today, so let's park that for now and quickly run through the results so far on this match day 23. 41 goals, as I mentioned, in the nine matches so far. Saturday was, in fact, the highest-scoring five-game day in Premier League history, with 26 goals scored across the five games. You had Everton coming to tie Spurs... 2-2. Burnley doing the same against Fulham. Newcastle 4-2 down at home to Luton but ending up with a 4-4 draw and then also on Saturday Brighton putting four past Palace and Aston Villa winning 5-0 at Sheffield United. Sunday Wolves came from a goal down to beat Chelsea 4-2 sparking the Thiago Silva's partner Bell tweet Early this year, perhaps? I don't know. We'll get into that. Man United, meanwhile, were comfortable 3-0 winners over West Ham. Bournemouth and Forest shared a 1-1 draw. And Arsenal-Liverpool finished 3-1. That means that Man City are five points off the top with two games in hand. The first of which is Monday night's fixture, which sees them take on Brentford. Is that at the 3G stadium? The, uh, the G-Tech. G-Tech Stadium. Mm. Yes. Where do you want to start, Matt? Oh, not Chelsea, probably Arsenal-Liverpool. Arsenal-Liverpool it is. <laughs> this is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. 
Let it bounce. Martinelli showed an interest. Arsenal with their third win in a row after previously getting three defeats in a row beating the league leaders going a goal up and then not messing it up in the second half how did it all happen? Who wants to have first bash at this one then? Daniel Well it happened because our Premier League centre-back discourse um, which kind of slightly dominated the, the coverage kind of Saliba and Gabriel been brilliant Canate and Van Dijk been brilliant Alisson been good all season and then some of the most horrific defending we've seen in big game Premier League action this season. Firstly, from Arsenal to let Liverpool back into the game, a goal out of a kind of trick shot handball own goal, where somehow the score of the own goal wasn't the most at fault. And then, yeah, Arsenal given a dolly by Virgil van Dijk. I think that one's a little bit more complicated, but van Dijk probably, in both cases, I think the defender should, should just clear everything and try and deal with it. Both of them wait for a goalkeeper that either doesn't get there or gets there too late. Uh, and a striker's left to just kind of sort of prod a ball, in which in, in, in Martinelli's case, to give Arsenal a lead that they then didn't give up. Mm. And I, I think Liverpool lost the head towards the end, I have to say. That, that was the most worrying aspect. Mistakes are made, Arsenal are really good at home. When the Emirates gets intense now, it is, it is quite a difficult place to play as an away player, I think, particularly if they start well and score. But towards the end, it felt like Liverpool really lost their head. Darwin Nunes was getting really het up. Um, they, they were kind of not quite throwing themselves on the floor and, and kind of... Sort of asking questions of Anthony Taylor, but just sort of making stupid mistakes. Well, Konati in particular. Of the mind. Konati in particular, who gets sent off late for that yellow card, after which another defensive error uh, from Allison, who was largely uh, at fault for the second Arsenal goal, as uh, Trossard uh, rounds the defender and puts it between his legs. Fire a deflection. I think mm. it potentially might have been going wide, but yeah, it's it's gone straight through the legs. It was a really sort of weird Liverpool performance. You're constantly sort of waiting for them to click into gear. 55, 60, 65 minutes, the game was pretty pretty passive, not much going on. You could feel the tension was coming. Um, but yeah, obviously it was, it was crucial which way this was going to go in terms of the title race. And you're, you're sort of expecting Liverpool with the three subs they made to click into gear. But it just never happened. We, we had the cup game, didn't we, recently, which mm. was... Um, I know cup games often aren't sort of the best sort of forebear of what's to come, but that was that was, there were two strong teams in that game. Nunes came on, uh, was switched to the left in that game and gave Ben White a horrific time in the second half, but that just didn't happen today. I felt like Klopp's subs have been really good in recent weeks, but on this occasion he sort of got a couple of things wrong. They obviously missed Sabozlai and lost the midfield, which right. is where the game was lost. But 0.4 xG for Liverpool, pretty much unheard of this season. Yeah, they also missed Connor Bradley, who wasn't playing for for you know, family reasons, but bereavement. But uh, beyond what happened with Liverpool, Arsenal, who conceded that equaliser at the end of the first half in freakish circumstances, by far the better side, would you say, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. It was interesting because I'd seen both of these teams in the week and, and both of them doing the kind of big brother with the palm of the hand on little brother's forehead while he swings and punches and, and can't connect and, and holding people off easily. So it was strange to see Liverpool so subdued. It was also sort of quite amusing to see a game between such high quality teams be all kind of blood and thunder and thud and blunder and punctuated by these sort of incredible errors which would make you laugh if they, if they happened in Sunday League. But yeah, Arsenal just, 
I'm not sure how much of it was them playing well, although obviously they did play well, particularly Jorginho coming into midfield. You you wonder if his days as a Premier League starter for a top-level team were over, but he was absolutely excellent in this game and Martinelli and and Saka when he was on two. Um, But yeah, Liverpool, they had a little spell, didn't they? Start the second half where Luis Diaz was getting a lot of the ball and, and they were having a lot of joy down his side, but they just couldn't put anything together at all on a consistent basis. And they've ended up having one shot on target in the match, which just feels extraordinary for this Liverpool team. The other thing, I, I, I thought Declan Rice was, was really good at getting over that spell that Matt talks about. Um, there were at least three or four times when he kind of stepped forward to intercept a pass in a way that Ryan Granbush didn't really do, Alexis McAllister wasn't quite able to do. I think there was just that calming presence as if to say, like, I've got this, everyone. Win the ball, step up, and then play it back and start again. I think Arsenal were able to just tone down the chaos that Liverpool weren't. Um, sometimes it helps this Liverpool team to play at chaos mode. It didn't here, I don't think. It felt with that midfield that they needed to kind of calm things down a little bit and to stop that midfield getting overrun. And I thought that was basically what Rice did. Mm. Huge win for Arsenal, which they celebrated. And then some. We had Arteta doing a Marco Tardelli essentially down the, the sideline after the second Arsenal goal. I think it was. Mm-hmm. And then the end, extended scenes, kind of befitting of a long-running Broadway show on its final night, that kind of thing, <laughs> bringing the curtain down. Many thanks to everybody. Do you see them now as being realistically involved again in, in the title race? Um, I think Man City are the big winners today, aren't they? You know, As you mentioned at the top of the show, if they win both their games in hand, they'll be, they'll be top. I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced, to be honest. I, I couldn't see Arsenal winning this game. Um, like I said, around that kind of hour mark, mm. I, I, as Daniel mentions, they had control because of the game. Because they're Arsenal or because of the way the game had gone? Uh, a bit of both. But they had they had control of the game, which was impressive, and they had nullified Liverpool. But I, I couldn't see them forging a winner um, because obviously they do lack goal scorers this season. And Liverpool have effectively handed them the goal and the momentum and then the third comes you know, after the red card, etc. But I, I don't see it personally. I, th- I think it'll be Liverpool and City. I, just, I don't think Arsenal have, have got enough going forward this season. I know they've just scored three against Liverpool, but the circumstance of the game dictated that. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? The, the narrative was all set to be Arsenal should have signed a striker in January or they don't have the firepower. Obviously, Jesus was injured, didn't start this game, but they were gifted goals. So it's kind of difficult to say whether, you know, you actually go with, well, they brought Trossard off the bench and he scored a goal. So maybe they do have the firepower or is it just Van Dijk, Alisson, Canate, uh, et al had a shocker and that allowed them to score three times. But, you know, as you say, James, they've won three games in a row. Uh, they beat Palace 5-0. They could have beaten Forest 5-0 in midweek. And now they've beaten Liverpool. They'll fancy themselves going to West Ham and Burnley in their next two matches. So there's definitely an opportunity for them to keep winning games, I think. Their, their running's not particularly arduous. They go to Spurs in the fourth last game of the season. But other than that, you know, last two home games against Bournemouth and Everton, if they're still in it then. Ooh. You'd give them a chance, but as I mean, I'm with Tim. I think Man City are the big winners today, and we're all hyping this up and calling it a three horse race when really one's going to pull clear of the pack. What we'll we see, they've still got to go to the G Tech. And didn't Brentford do the double over Man City last season? Yeah. <clears throat> yes, they mm-hmm. did, says producer Charlie. Daniel, any final thoughts on this game? Terrifically entertaining. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a. It was a kind of yeah knockabout game. Which I think if you were going to pick two of the big six teams to be involved in that sort of game, it probably would be Liverpool Arsenal. Um, but occasionally, they these two styles can kind of 
I don't know, slightly counteract each other. I think Manchester City, being hot on everybody's heels, sort of forced the issue here and sort of forced those mistakes because there was a. it sort of felt like both teams had to win. Liverpool to open up an eight-point gap to Arsenal and, and definitively make it a two-horse race and Arsenal to avoid that happening and to kind of pull themselves back in. I think that kind of forced the issue. But, yeah, sadly, I'm, I'm making a full house because I think City will pull away soon. Brilliant. Thank you, Daniel. What's up next on the agenda? Why? Chelsea Wolves. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Here's Cunha, meanwhile. Gusto's got to be careful. It's got to be a penalty, hasn't it? He scored. It's 4-1. Cunha's got three of them. And plenty of heading for the exits. Chelsea Wolves, everybody. Wolves completing the double over Chelsea, Tim, for the first time since? Uh, the 70s. Yes. 75? 74, 75, mm. yeah. First time they've ever won three like in a row. song, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, like the Connells. Yeah, nice. Yeah, very much so. Is Pochettino now looking as isolated as Chelsea's midweek mascot at Anfield? That's one of the questions we'll be asking right after we give some love to Gary O'Neill's incredible Wolves. Gary O'Neill. Who'd have thought yeah. it? Who'd have thought it? Not well, me. Yeah, well, indeed. So when Gary O'Neill was signed, what, five days before the start of the season? Five days before Wolves went to Old Trafford on the, on the Monday, the first weekend. Right. Yeah. Did you in any way envisage a time when they would be climbing into the top off above Chelsea? 
no, I, I, I maybe could have predicted they might be above Chelsea, but but not into the top half of the table. Okay. Um, yeah, it's been it's been remarkable. You know, people forget the amount of money that they had to generate in the summer and and sell their some of their star players, and then Lopetegui, the man who's who's supposed to be the guy who can lead them into Europe, uh, ditches them basically right on the eve of the season, and for for Gary O'Neill to come in, it hasn't been universally positive throughout the season. You know, in September. They drew at Luton. They got dumped out of the Carabao Cup at Ipswich, and the the tide was was turning amongst the fan base. I got to say, because they made a slow start to the season, albeit with difficult fixtures. And he had this kind of PE teacher moniker, and then yeah, they beat Man City, and then he went on Monday Night Football and wowed, wowed everyone with his tactics. And it's uh, it's been one way ever since. They've got this tremendous home record. They've got the ability to beat any team. They're in the top half of the table, fifth round of the cup, and they look pretty. They look pretty good to me. They look pretty proper. They look like a proper team. There's no, there's no kind of great tactical sort of master plan here. And you know, it's they defend pretty deep, five at the back, and then they've got these terribly exciting forwards in Cunha and Neto and Huang, who's obviously out of the Asian Cup at the moment. And Cunha's discovered his goal scoring touch from nowhere. I think he scored two in thirteen to start this season, and now he's got nine in fourteen, including this in- incredible hat trick. His hat trick. Do you know he's only the fourth visiting player in Premier League history to score a hat-trick at Stamford Bridge. Do you know the other three? Carnu. Carnu. Carnu's the obvious one, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, not Van Persie? Uh, yes, Van Persie. Uh-huh. Sergio Aguero's the other one. Right. Just to move things along. Mm. Oh, he's also only the second Wolves player to score a Premier League hat-trick anywhere. Do you know who the other one was? Uh, with, uh, Jota? Yes, it was. All right. Well done, Wolves. All right, Matt. <laughs> yeah, wait, look, we've got it. I would just like to add that I'm so pleased for Gary O'Neill. I really right. am because the never sure if it's received wisdom or perceived wisdom. Must be received wisdom, right? Was that well? Yeah, you know, it's a shame for Gary O'Neill to leave Bournemouth, but Iriola, you know, Gary O'Neill, basic Iriola, flash. Uh, and it turns out that Gary O'Neill is a very, very astute manager. And the uh, Tim spoke about the unity. That was what really shone through to me. Players knowing what their job is and executing it and sticking to the plan, which is a very, very basic thing, but something that he's obviously engendered in them. Players like Ryan Aitnori, he's absolutely terrific, can play anywhere, pops up all over the pitch. Mario Lamina, much more sort of seasoned player now, he's back in the Premier League, really good in midfield. And Neto, who I think is sort of lucky, isn't it? He always seems to be injured whenever there's a transfer window, so nobody's really coming hard for him yet. He's 23 and, yeah, he's... Yeah, that happened two years ago before he got his first serious injury. Mm. He, was, he was bound to be off. But yeah, he's got 10 assists in 14 matches this season, which is remarkable. Um, and yeah, if, if, he, if he keeps it up, he's destined to move to one of the big clubs in, in the summer. He's, he's phenomenally good. So direct, so pacey, two-footed. His low centre of gravity is astonishing. You just can't seem to get the ball off him. Yeah, he'd be good in Chelsea's team. Yeah, well, a lot of players they thought would be good in Chelsea. There are, yeah, and you know what? I was optimistic when I saw the team sheet for the game because they had two full-backs playing at full-back, which is not something that's happened maybe ever, actually, this season for Chelsea, and Christopher Nkunku Mm. starting. Um, But they got totally overrun in midfield. Uh, Conor Gallagher and Enzo Fernandez haven't played well for weeks. Moises Caicedo laid on a really nice pass for Cole Palmer's opening goal, then immediately was at fault for the equaliser, uh, gave the ball away lots, got booked, got subbed off. And it felt like the day that the tide has turned. I think the, the crowd at Stamford Bridge have been really patient, actually, with Chelsea over the last 18 months or really since the takeover. And I think this was the day where the patience ran out. And okay. that was evidenced by the chants that were heard in the second half, the boos at half time, the boos at full time, 
Um, this was a just such a limp, disappointing performance. And the Bell Silver partner of Thiago Silva yeah. tweet, it's time to change, says Bell. If you wait any longer, it will be too late. She posted something similar three days... Two days before Graham Potter days. got the boot. It was, I don't say anything anymore. I look at the table and we're in 11th place. Very sad. Let's get ready for Tuesday. Hashtag go blues. Hashtag come on Chelsea. Um, so it's the, it's the kind of sword of Bell Silver hanging over that's Pochettino's it. Yeah, head. yeah. Who'd have thought that uh, Brazilian and Argentine could butt heads in this way? But yeah. Maurizio Pochettino's definitely got questions to answer. You know, it's one thing losing 4-1 to Liverpool. Liverpool. Mm. Chelsea hadn't trailed at half time in a game before Wednesday last week. Um, so they do there against Liverpool and you say they're just being outclassed here by a far superior team and that's fine, that happens. Not the case today. And he made changes in the game that didn't affect the game. He was a little unlucky in the fact that they just brought Nicholas Jackson on about five seconds before Wolves went 3-1 up and that kind of immediately nullified uh, that attempt to change things. But yeah, not happening for him. And he's getting players back now. So the excuses as regards injuries are kind of running thin. And got, got Enzo Fernandez has been playing in the Premier League for a year. I've no idea what he's supposed to offer, but he's not doing anything consistently well. Um, Thiago Silva... Sorry, Bell, if you're listening, but the Premier League's oldest centre-back is starting to look it. And then you've got people like Raheem Sterling, who blows hot and cold, but isn't really providing value for money. You're bringing subs on like Mikhailo Mudrik, who everybody just feels pity for. And you wonder where it's going. Massive game at Villa on Wednesday. Mm. Very, very difficult to see Chelsea winning that with the form they've been away from home and how Villa have played this weekend. Very, very difficult to see them winning the League Cup final. And, and yeah, you fear for him as they say. Mm. Okay, Villa is a fourth-round replay in the FA Cup, of course. Highlight from the stands here was Wolves fans singing your effing rubbish to Chelsea, and they, they responded with, we're effing rubbish. Right. Do you think that changes might be imminent a la Potter last season for Chelsea? My instinct says no, but then I also look at the fact that they, changed, they had four managers in charge last season, so you can't rule it out. Um, I wonder who would be interested in taking the job at this point who's going to make a real tangible difference that would appease the fan base. I mean, I guess not getting an ex-Spurs manager would be a way to do that. There's lots of calls amongst Chelsea supporters, not lots, but some pointing out that Jose Mourinho is available. I think Jose Mourinho is too intelligent to take the Chelsea job at the moment because it's hiding to nothing in a lot of regards but I'm concerned that Maurizio Pochettino doesn't seem to be able to change things during games right uh, is that the main charge against him because I see online a lot of people how is he still starting Gallagher and Sterling but what would you say is the main charge against well him? Look, Sterling scored a lot of goals this season he's the highest paid player at the club he's the second most experienced player at the club so I think you can say that's probably why he's playing albeit once and Kunku is fully fit. He might take Sterling's place and Jackson goes up front and, and you've got Palmer playing in midfield um, or as part of that three. But yeah, Conor Gallagher is somebody who Maurizio Pochettino clearly loves and somebody who's won possession in the final third more than anybody else in the Premier League. But you think of Conor Gallagher circa Charlton, Crystal Palace, Swansea, Charlton and you, you think of a West Brom, sorry. You think of a goal-scoring midfielder. He hasn't scored or provided an assist all season. So it gets more and more difficult to justify his place in the team. Um, and maybe that's why they were looking to sell him. Um, mm. But yeah, he, he's not, he, he has been getting by on industry and tackling and uh, endeavour and uh, you know, 
full-hearted play, but there needs to be something to go alongside that. And today, he totally uh, was overrun him, Enzo and Caicedo. It was incredible. Okay, should be a fun edition of uh, Straight Out of Cobham uh, this week. You're excellent. Chelsea Pogba. That's right. Here's Daniel. I was going to say, I mean, kind of slightly ironically, the, the one thing saving Pochettino is that the environment in which he's been placed and all these players in place looks so chaotic, so manic, that you, you, you end up constantly looking further up the charge sheet. So a, a young player plays badly uh, and you think, well, I wonder why that is. Is it because of the players around him? Someone like Moises Caicedo, who was awful today, he looks bad. So you think, well, is this his fault? No, maybe it's the senior players. Thiago Silva, and you think, well, he played really badly. Is it his fault? You think, well, no, maybe it's the manager. Is it the manager's fault? You keep, just keep looking further and further up the chain because the, the, the whole thing is comes across like a circus. And if you put eight players... Young players make mistakes, which is fine. They do three things really well and they do one thing slightly badly. When you've got eight players doing that in the same team or 12 players doing that in the same squad at the same time on the same day you're going to get punished by kind of clever opponents. Whether, whether it's Wolves or Liverpool, it doesn't really matter. Teams are too good to, work, to kind of not work that out. All right. Well, Villa coming up midweek in that FA Cup replay. Meanwhile, former owners of the Baton of Crisis Club, uh, Man United with a 3-0 win Sunday against West Ham. That's their third victory in a row in all competitions. They've scored 11 goals in those three matches. Alan Smith on commentary... Observing Garnacho Hoyland and uh, Kobe Mainu sitting on the hoardings a la Kudus and saying, that's the future, the kids. It, are they back? Are they, is it really happening? No, Tim? I, 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 I don't know. They, they, they played pretty well today. Um, West Ham still amassed 22 shots to their 12. It wasn't a, wasn't a one-way convincing win. But th- there is a semblance of a team there. You know, Garnacho, Hoyland and Rashford... They've all had decent moments at decent times of the season, but it's about consistency. Right. I mean... With three in a row. And Thursday night, did you see the incredible 4-3 against away at Wolves? Yes, did uh, did, did catch that one. Um, yeah, I mean, but they, they basically threw that one away with, in the 95th minute. Wolves. At that one point, United oh, had thrown that way. In the 95th minute, they'd left a three-on-three at the back from their own from their own corner, Man United. I was like, well, how the, how, what on earth are you doing? So there, there are so many faults in this team... But there is there is semblance of green shoots there. Certainly, if you look if you look at the midfield with Mainu, Casemiro, and Fernandez today, the front three as mentioned. Um, but the big one today was Lissandra Martinez came back. His first start at Old Trafford since September, mm. and he was excellent. And then lo and behold, he twists his knee and gets taken off in the 70th minute. So you right. wonder if that's going to maybe derail them defensively again. But him and Luke Shaw coming in at the back have made a really big difference. Diego Dalla was very good today, saved them a goal at two 0 up. And um, yeah, it wasn't a, an utterly convincing performance. I thought West Ham, West Ham were awful going forward. Hence the number of shots they had without any any joy. But yeah, there's there's as always with United, it looks like they're capable of doing something. But there's a, there's a crisis around the corner, isn't there? Okay. Well, that knee injury to Lisandro Martinez described as a personal disaster by Eric Ten Hag. So could be a while before we see him back on the pitch. Daniel. Yeah, I think with the green shoots of recovery, I think I think there's more than that with this front three. Um, I think in four of United's last five games, they've started Garnaccio out on the right, Rashford on the left, and, and Hoyland as the centre forward. In in all of all four of those games, at least two of them have scored. Um, the exception was the the defeat at Forest when Anthony started on the right, and United looked really poor again. I think. You know, although you don't want to put an 80 million pound player 
permanently on the bench. I think moving forward, that is definitely the starting front three. Garnacho looks really good on the right because he can either go, A, he's direct, and B, he can go either side of the fullback. He can kind of stretch the game or he can drift in field. And I think that is a permanent fixture now. And United look far better for it. Defensively, yeah, not still convinced. Midfield, I've just got no idea. But I think that's a permanent fixture going forward in the front three. Okay. Yep. Ooh, sorry, just Jim. to say, there's not much to say from a West Ham point of view, but Calvin Phillips has not made the best start. Mm. Uh, obviously gave away the goal in midweek and then here he came on on about the 70th minute and 10 minutes later he gets he gets caught in possession in the midfield and two passes later it's, it's 3-0. So, yeah. A bit of rustiness, do you think? I think so. But then I remember seeing him uh, drop in for England in the autumn and he, he looked he looked pretty good, to be honest. Mm. So, um, But yeah, he, he certainly looks that way. Right, OK. The other game on Sunday saw Bournemouth drawing 1-1 with Nottingham Forest. Justin Clivert giving the Cherries the lead just five minutes in. Callum Hudson, a door equalising right on half-time. Uh, for the visitors, Philip Billings sent off for Bournemouth late on. Uh, goalkeeper Matt Sells making his debut for Forrest, mm, yeah. signed from Strasbourg on deadline day. He's the sixth goalkeeper to play for Forrest since the start of last season. I don't want anybody else when I think about you, I touch Matt Sells. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Magnificent. Magnificent. If only that were true from uh, uh, Transfer Happy Nottingham Forest. Can you name the other five keepers, by the way? Uh, Ethan Hornvath, Dean Henderson, Kaylor Navas... Matt Turner, Odysseus Blokodimos. Oh, yeah, it was Hennessy, not Horvath. Oh, OK. Um, Hennessy's still kicking around. Yeah. Unbelievably. But, yeah, so it's a strange signing in some ways, and then in other ways it makes perfect sense because he was a goalkeeper who was available, and uh, the two goalkeepers Forrest have had this season have been pretty bad, unfortunately. But it sounds like he did all right on his debut. And, look, that's a good point for Forrest because he got an absolutely awful record against Bournemouth. So... Um, we will certainly take that. If you'd like to hear more, by the way, there is yes. a new Forest podcast called yeah. the Garibaldi Gazette, uh, which you can listen to, and it features your friend and mine, Nick Miller, as well as me and Arsh Ali. Three podcasts for you this week, or more, Matt? Um, well, are we going by episode or, or type of? I think, you know, different title. Okay, so we've got Totally Football Show, Straight yeah. Out of Cobham, the Garibaldi Gazette, and What the FL. Okay, nice, yeah. So that's four, yeah. Okay. Do you know wrestling ones at the moment? No wrestling ones at the moment, but if anybody at the Athletic would like to commission one, um, it's certainly a pertinent time to do it with Dwayne The Rock Johnson making his shock return. Well, indeed. We're all talking about that here <laughs> in the Totally Football Show studio. <laughs> Forest will be hosting Bristol City in their FA Cup fourth round replay on Wednesday. Of course, uh, Nottingham Forest is famous for hosting Robins, so it'll be interesting to see <laughs> how, how that one goes. Uh, next up, we'll move on to Saturday's action. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Football Content Awards International Podcast of the Year. Sandy Latonga into Russ Barkley. Has lost it. And the shot finds the back of the net. 4-4, Harvey Barnes. What a return to the team. Saturday's action, we can't start anywhere, but uh, St James's part, an incredible Newcastle 4, Luton 4. 
The Magpies, richest club in the universe, taking the lead. The Hatters so poor that they literally play in an old lady's back garden, responding by going 4-2 up, only for Eddie Howe's side to snatch it with late, late goals. What, what drama, Tim? Crazy. Just sort of epitomises uh, what Newcastle have become, I guess. They were was, there was so in control last season, conceded so few goals. And now I think they've already conceded more than the whole of last season now with 15 games to go. And, um, yeah, it sounded like a pretty difficult afternoon for quite a few people at St James's Park, Dan Byrne included. Mm. Um, fans chanting for Tino Livramento to come on. It's not nice to hear, is it? But Luton, all credit to Luton, obviously. You know, they can play. <laughs> I really thought, you know, when they, when they came into the league that they, they'd play to their sort of strengths of physicality and direct long balls and whatever. But no, with via Ross Barkley, they, they can really play. There was a sense that, do you know how like in video games you can get teams from different era to play against each other? <laughs> they, they would be the side from the, the bad old 80s, crap 80s football. Team. But instead, well, Matt, you know, I mean, you've, you've followed the progress of Rob Edwards. Mm. You've followed the progress of Elijah Adebayo as well. Yeah, Elijah Adebayo. And also somebody who I'm really keen on who was excellent in this game is Jadozi Ogbené who uh, we had on the sadly now defunct Totally Football League show, another podcast uh, in the back catalogue. And he is uh, he started off as a forward, uh, played for Paul Warren at Rotherham, who converted him to a wing-back when they were coming out of, of League One. And he is rapid, but he, he's really effective. His crossing's excellent. Uh, he's got excellent control of the ball. And perhaps that comes from when, when we spoke to him, and he's got this beautiful, he was born in Nigeria, brought up in Ireland, so he's got this beautiful Lagos slash Cork lilt to him. And he was telling us that he could have been a pro at Gaelic football, mm-hmm. uh, but chose association football instead. But he absolutely tore Dan Byrne apart in this game. It was if it was if it had it been a boxing contest, they would have stopped it. But yeah, typical of Luton's it's so patronizing to say bravery, isn't it? But if you come from behind twice in the first half, you think therefore at half time the manager says, All right, let's settle for what we've got and get a point here. And, and mm. absolutely none of that. They go four two up. They end up just getting a point anyway. But yeah, just fabulous. I mean, brilliant scenes when when Harvey Barnes equalised the kind of pandemonium in the stands, players on their knees despite there being 20 minutes of the game left. Tremendous stuff. Sean Longstaff chipping in with goals. Um, but Newcastle-wise, I feel like the FA Cup is really big for Eddie Howe because okay. they're very, very mid-table, aren't they, Newcastle this season? I think they'll they'll struggle even to, to get into um, the Conference League, but they've got Blackburn in round five. If they can get to Wembley again, that might be enough to, to keep them in a job next season, I think. Mm. Luton are um, fourth in the form table. It took them really? took them until December the twenty third, seventeen games to pass the eleven point mark, and they've now notched eleven points in the last six games. Mm. Four nil against Brighton midweek, and now this. Although they did eventually end up with only a point from having a two goal lead, and that means that they are still only one point ahead of Everton, who drew their game with Spurs. 2-2, two, two. Quite, quite a cluster of teams down there. So Everton in 18th spot on 19 points. Luton a point better off. Forest are within a defeat of the bottom three, as are Brentford, although they have that game in hand. Forest have played a game more than Luton. Yeah, you feel now that Sheffield United and Burnley really are cut adrift, aren't they? Even that point for Burnley at the weekend is not going to be enough to to keep them involved. They're seven points from it and just don't look capable of putting any sort of run together. So it's you'd think Brentford, now they've got Tony back, will probably be OK. So it's probably between Everton, Luton, Forest and Palace for the last... Palace, who are currently five points off the bottom three, but fresh from a 4-1, well, thrashing really, by 
rivals Brighton at the weekend. Daniel, could this game have gone any worse for the Eagles and their embattled manager? No, I, was, I mean, you, you've taken the words out of my mouth. I, I, I don't, I mean, yes, technically it could have done, but they conceded in the first minute against Sheffield United and so you think, well, let's keep it tight in the derby and they conceded here within three minutes. They were 3-0 down before they had a touch of the ball in Brighton's penalty area, which is pretty depressing for any away supporter. Eberetche and Eze was injured and didn't feature. Mark Wahey went off injured. Michael Elise was injured and so started on the bench and then they brought him on when the game was done anyway and he re-aggravated the same injury. And then at the end of the game, you had... It looked like Churchill Anderson, the kind of the one fit first team centre back, um, involved in a pretty het up argument with the away fans who were protesting against the ownership all through the game and had just watched their worst defeat to Brighton since January 1956. So, no, I don't think it could have gone any worse. Add into that, uh, the man they just made the second biggest signing of the January transfer window, Adam Wharton, uh, contributing the error that led to the third goal just six minutes after coming on himself. So just under a year ago, Patrick Vieira was sacked after a defeat against Brighton. So are we all standing by for news from Palace? I think I think the, the most worrying thing for Roy Hodgson will be those protests against the owner and the banner. Because if you Steve Parrish, the easiest win to get the fans back on side is to sack the unpopular manager, right? So And, and the Elise thing is a terrible look for everybody involved in it. I thought that, that was the shot of the weekend of, of Elise looking incredibly sheepish as he made his way off. Hodgson looking furious. The, the camera panning to some Crystal Palace supporters looking angry slash perplexed and Mark Bright kind of puffing his cheeks out. He thought, who sanctioned this? Who's, who said that this was going to be a good idea to bring him on at 3-0 down? Him and, him and Eze either scored or assisted 17 of the 30 goals Palace have scored all season. So it is them effectively scoring the goals that are going to keep them up or not. So why do you risk at least say at 3-0 down. And you might say, well, the medical staff told me you could play for 45 minutes, but you're the manager who knows the state of the game and the fact that it's already lost at that point. So I just thought it was absolutely baffling to put him on. I think in terms of his future, they're probably a little bit too close to the drop zone now to risk sacking a manager and bringing someone else in. Hodgson's, you know, you'd think with him in charge, they've got a decent chance of, of grinding it out and grinding out enough points to stay up. But as they slip to, you know, with Luton's form, if Everton pick up form again, then yeah, Palace are a sort of a prime candidate to get sucked in. But more so if they if they risk sacking him and replacing him with you know God knows who that would be. But I think it's obvious that there'll be a part in other ways. At some point, the owners would much prefer to do that in the summer and then I guess start again. But I don't know. Right. It looks a bit risky there. Hapless, hopeless, and helpless. Matt Woosnam's piece on the Athletic about them. But got Chelsea next though, so it's not all bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brighton though, who won this game by a hefty margin. Nice to see them back. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, they, it really did feel like Roberto De Zerbi needed this. I, I caught up with his press conference and he was very spiky. You know, he was asked about transfer dealings. He kind of intimated that, you know, it's not my doing. I, I wanted the midfielder. They they made a bid for, they made an offer for Kin and Jewsby Hall of Leicester that didn't materialise. Mahmoud Dahu left, so they were kind of one down. And, and De Zerbi was sort of saying, look, I'm playing for Kunde Bonanotte, who's just arrived, he's 19 years old, he, he will make mistakes in the Premier League, that's, that's what we're dealing with here, and yet we're trying to finish in the top six or seven. Um, so he needed this after three scoreless games, a perfect opponent in the perfect game, a derby that means something, and as I say, their biggest win in it for 60-odd years. So yes, he, 
He's looked a bit spiky at the moment. He, he obviously knows and Brighton know that there are these jobs that he's going to be talked about. Probably not as the favourite for any of them, but as a kind of second or third favourite for all of them. So for everybody, they need this bump in the right direction. For him, his career ambitions, for Brighton to try and get back into Europe, which would be a phenomenal achievement two seasons in a row while, while dealing with European football. And, and obviously they're still in Europe, so picking up some form before that restarts as well. Mm. It's, it's all good for Brighton, isn't it, broadly? You know, they've been on a poor run, but they're eighth in the league. They're a point off the European places. They're still in the FA Cup. They're still in the Europa League. They've just won their biggest game of the season in the league. Football turns quickly, doesn't it? But yeah, I think they're doing just fine. Okay. Uh, they scored four. Villa went to five. Scenes from a police procedural at Bramall Lane as the villains disposed of the blades. So it was 1-1 last time these two teams met. It was only a month ago, and that was at Villa's ground. But now they go to Sheffield United's and get a 5-0 win. Why? Well, Sheffield United didn't turn up. That was part of the problem but they probably thought we had some success in the week trying to take Crystal Palace on and be open and expansive and scored a few goals and maybe that was the way here but I think they just played against a team who were, who were banging form I'm, I'm not convinced on Chris Wilder and his suitability as a Premier League manager he's somebody who won five of 22 games in the championship last season seemed like a curious appointment to me mm. um, but yeah, yeah you know you could put Pep Guardiola in charge of Sheffield United and he struggled because their squad is miles off Premier League quality, I think. Chris Wilder, who feels other people may be perhaps responsible for Sheffield United's recent form, Matt. Yeah, I put my sandwich down before I laid into him there. Um, but yeah, odd, wasn't it that? Well, I did you hear that? If you didn't hear the quotes, this is what he had to say after the Palace game midweek. Been to see the referee, I've told him that. Um, one of his assistant assistants was eating a sandwich at the time. I thought that was a complete lack of respect. Uh, hopefully he enjoyed his sandwich while he was talking to a Premier League manager. I mentioned this on Twitter, now known as X, and asked oh, yeah. for some sandwich jokes, and I got some good ones. What uh, did you get, Matt? Urbane Emery leaves Chippy Wilder in the crep. Uh, somebody crep, just yeah. said Chibattered uh, should probably make a sub. It's all gone a bit sour. Sub, dough. Yeah. Keep making individual cheesesteaks. Right. Uh, if this gets worse, that might be a wrap for Wilder's second stint at the Very club. Nice. Yeah. Good stuff, yeah. I, I'm, and actually, this one, bit of a twist. Uh, his only hope when they play Brentford is that the league are going to ban me. As in, ban me, which is a kind of Asian sandwich, right? Oh, is that an Asian sandwich? Yeah. yeah. My audio cut out there, and I've never been more grateful. Uh, yeah, no, lots of good stuff. Thanks, everybody, who uh, got involved with that. Indeed. Thank uh, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Wilder, this... I mean, I, I watched the game this morning, and it, it just seemed bizarre that... So what Villa have is four central midfielders. They put them in different positions, but basically at one time or another, they all come in central midfield. They have Bubakar Kamara, they have Douglas Luiz, who is brilliant, they have Yuri Tielemans, and they have John McGinn, who is like the ball of energy. And Wilder's answer was to play three central defenders and two central midfielders, one of which is Vinny Souza, who's in his first season in England, and one of which is Andre Brooks, whose only career appearances have come in, I think, the National League North um, before this season. And he kind of looked on surprised as... Every Villa midfielder had about seven or eight minutes on the ball when they wanted it to pick a pass, including, we should say, the pass of the season by Douglas Luiz. Uh, a gorgeous kind of outside the boot. And the, but the camera angle from behind it stitches up the Sheffield United defender who looks like he's kind of playing hide-and-seek with the ball. It was just an abject calamity choosing that formation against a team that loves to dominate in midfield, and that's exactly what Villa did. 
This was definitely the most aesthetically pleasing game of the weekend, right? With that pass from Douglas Louise and Bailey's bender for 3-0 and then Tillemans with the double bar kiss. We should acknowledge that as soon as we forgot to mention Danny Welbeck's assist for Schwell Pedro. Very true. Very true. Biggest away win in the Premier League for Villa since they beat that Derby team 6-0 back in 2008. And as mentioned, they're going to be facing Chelsea, hosting Chelsea Wednesday night, which could be very, very interesting. The prize for the winners will be a home encounter with either Leeds or Plymouth Argyle. Huh. Also this weekend in the Premier League, you had 2-2 draws for both Everton and Spurs and Burnley and Fulham. Quite the turnaround in that game at Turf Moor. Cottagers looked completely in control. They'd scored two goals in four minutes. And then from the bench, David Datro Fofana. You can just call him David Fofana was can the I? message I got when he joined Chelsea. Yeah, okay. he's not bothered about the Datro apparently. So, Right. Good Lord. Well, he scored two. <laughs> I've got a lot of insight on this game. All right. Can tell, yeah. And uh, well, yeah, there you go, a, Daniel. Can we have a moment for uh, Bernd Leno? And we talk about goalkeepers coming out into no man's land. He came out for a cross in which he real he obviously realised very early that he'd got it badly, badly wrong. But he was so far away from the ball that he didn't even jump towards it. He just sort of stood outside his six-yard box as Fafana wandered forward and headed the ball in. And yeah, Fulham are Fulham are bad away from home. They've not won an away game in any competition since beating Everton on the opening day. So they are bad away from home. They will probably pick up a, enough points at home. It's kind of slight irony, the fact that all their fans hate playing at home because of the ticket route. It's hardly renowned as a kind of difficult place to go, and yet it's going to be Fulham's Craven Cottage that probably keeps them up this season because they are relegation candidates away from home. Mm. All right. Burnley picking up their second draw in three games. Almost all of their points this season, though, have come against Sheffield United, Luton or Fulham. So if they're not playing those teams, then it's a pretty thin gruel. Tim, would you like to offer any insight on Everton's comeback draw against Spurs? Yeah, they they sort of diced Spurs, to be honest. It was, it was a barrage of set pieces. They targeted Vicario very successfully. Both their goals came from, came from set pieces. Stopped Spurs playing. Got to mention Richarlison, mm. who's it's remarkable turnaround. Uh, nine and ten he's got now, but the, the nine fin- and eight, nine and eight, mm. yes, and nine and ten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the the two finishes are such high quality. The first one, a doggy fires the ball at him, and he just diverts it in left footed. Annoyingly, he doesn't celebrate, but fine. Um, and then the second one. Uh, Wonderful work from Madison, who just drops a little pass inside and curls one in from 20 yards. Gorgeous finish, both first time. And I think that's sort of a pit. John McKenzie on TIFO has done great work on this in terms of analysing his goals, all sort of first or second touches. Right. Um, I think before the second goal, which is from range, he'd scored with all of the shots he'd had that had been closest to goal. So his eight, which I guess makes sense, doesn't it? But still, his eight no, no, his no. eight attempts to closest to goal, he scored with all of them. Right. Um uh, that was one thing which we, we all sort of thought when analysing when Ange Postacoglu came in that he likes a number nine who stays in those positions and doesn't wander too much. Could it be Richarlison with his goal scoring record? You assumed not really, but he's yeah. really pulled it together since he had those two months off last autumn. It, it's sort of um, it's been a weekend for it for formerly rubbish strikers mm-hmm. now in a rich vein of form. You had Cunha who scored two in thirteen and is now nine in fourteen. Richarlison, 9 in 8 after 2 in 13. And Hoyland, who's got 5 in 6 That's quite after, after 5 in 22. Previously rubbish. Previously rubbish records, I think you can okay. fair enough to say. Mm, all right. Yeah. Good on you. 
Good on you. Everton coming back, though. Who scored their goals? Oh, yeah. Jared Brempley with the 94th minute equaliser, his first of the season. The Who, who, who was the first person on the? Calvert-Lewin thought he had it, but it was Jack Harrison. There you go. So yeah, Calvert, two... Calvert-Lewin without a goal in 17. But even though Everton got the very, very late equaliser in this mm. game, feels like it's a better point for Spurs because there's six points between them and Man United in six now, which feels like a bit of a gap, mm. whereas Everton need, need wins, don't they? They do, don't they? Well, as mentioned, uh, Man City will be running off the Premier League match day 23 with their trip to Brentford, a side who they'll be hosting then two weeks later in the Premier League. That game held over from when they went off to do that Club World Cup thing. Very good. Matt, you've mentioned a variety of podcasts that you've got coming up, including what the EFL, Mm. where I note that in the Championship, the top three currently are the... Three relegated sides from the Premier League last season. Is that exciting? It's sort of depressing, is unless it? you support a team who might get relegated from the Premier League this season, I suppose. I suppose. But the, the positive spin on it is that Russell Martin is, is looking like, the I don't know, the new Rob Edwards, maybe. Another bright young thing in, in British football coaching. Took him a, a while to get a hold of Southampton because he plays in a very specific way, which requires a lot of re-education and training for players not used to it. But there, yeah, club record, 21 matches unbeaten now. I think always kind of the perception was that Ipswich would fall away a bit. They had a poor defeat at a Preston team who aren't very good. But, you know, Southampton managed to keep hold of a lot of players. Leeds in particular, their squad is is unbelievably stacked. Um, so you mentioned that FA Cup replay they've got. They'll, mm. they'll probably play a much changed team in that um, with an eye on promotion. And Leicester, obviously almost there already 11 points clear of third place so yeah it's I would say Leicester and Leeds would be my favourites for the top two Mm. Um, but yeah hopefully Ipswich can keep up with them and and Southampton are the form team at the moment good lord they've got a FA Cup fourth round replay themselves Tuesday they're going to be taking on Watford Tuesday also sees Coventry taking on Sheffield Wednesday and Wednesday as we mentioned Forest Bristol City and Chelsea Villa. Midweek, though, if it's cup football you're after, you've also got the Asian Cup and AFCON 2. Semi-finals in the Asian Cup. You've got South Korea up against Jordan on Tuesday. Host Qatar uh, play the team that knocked out Japan on Saturday, Iran. That game's on Wednesday. And there's semi-finals at AFCON 2. Daniel's story will be all over these. Wednesday, it's Ivory Coast, who had that incredible 10-man comeback against Mali. They faced Democratic Republic of Congo the same night. Nigeria take on South Africa, who had the greatest shootout performance of all time. So thank for their place in the semi-finals. They knocked out Cape Verde. Uh, tell us, Daniel, about these incredible scenes. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the South Africa penalty shootout, Ronwen Williams, it has been done before. Uh, Helmuth Dukadam saved four penalties in the 1986 European Cup final for Stoy Bucharest but Roman Williams edges it for me because he also made one of the greatest saves I've ever seen uh, close to the end striker goes through on goal and absolutely leathers it a one-on-one because it sits up really nicely so he doesn't guide it he puts his laces through it and initially it looks like it just probably hits Roman Williams Mamelodi Sundowns goalkeeper on this kind of shoulder or the arm and just hits the bar but he actually puts his hand out and flicks it onto the bar. It's an astonishing save. And yeah, he was then the hero in the shootout. He went, he went the right way for all five penalties. Didn't quite get to one of them because it was well taken. But yeah, save the other four. Uh, and then before that was an even more astonishing ending in Boake where Ivory Coast 
I mean, they've lived a charmed life in this tournament. When, when I say that in their last four games, they've lost 4-0, they've lost 1-0, they've trailed for 190 minutes and they've been ahead for 190 seconds. They've given fired away two manager. penalties. Yes, fired a manager, given away two penalties. I think had three men sent off in that time. And they are in the semi-finals because they equalised with 10 men in the 92nd minute with Brighton, Simon Adingra. And then scored with this incredible sort of intuitive flick in the 122nd minute. Bit of movement as well, overall them headed away. Comes to Fafana, Leonardo is in the back of the net! And Ivory Ghost has surely won it! Extraordinary scenes! At the final whistle you had one player just been sent off for taking off his shirt. You had Malian players jostling the referee, literally pushing the referee, one of those got sent off. The referee decides to push him back and get involved, which is, I mean, it was very funny to watch. And then the best sight of all was Marley's coach leant over on his knees, crying, and the assistant coach is just pouring from a bottle of iced water over his head. It, it looks like a practical joke where he's trying to persuade the coach that he's like over crying and there's too many tears and the tears just won't stop. But it's just, a, yeah, extraordinary seats. And obviously around that is 30,000 people going absolutely mad because Ivory Coast are the hosts and right. somehow this charmed life, they're still in the tournament. Okay. Uh, how do you fancy their chance against DR Congo? And what about Nigeria, South Africa? I mean, Nigeria are the favourites now, I think, legitimately. That front three of, of Victor Osimhen, uh, Moses Simon, and the breakout star of the tournament in terms of international football, Adamola Lookman, who only declared for Nigeria in 2022. Um, they look the best team. But, yeah, you kind of have to kill Ivory Coast seven or eight times before you can be sure that they're dead at the moment. So they're calling them Le Revenant in mm. Abidjan which is the kind of zom the zombies um, so yeah the zombie elephants is the word on the street which is uh, yeah it's uh, it's been a mad tournament and this is a mad finish uh, Nigeria the favourites Ivory Coast should get to the final but I, I've got a sneaky feeling about DRC okay really okay you, you're going to be getting along to both semi-finals are you? Uh, no, they're actually uh, slightly annoyingly to avoid, because of the heat and to avoid favouritism or advantage for the semis, they're being played on the same day. So uh, I'm going to go to the Ivory Coast one in Abidjan and then it's third, fourth Saturday final next Sunday. Magnificent. All right. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for today, for dialing in from Côte d'Ivoire. Many, many thanks as well to you, Tim Spears, coming in for a slightly closer distance. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, yourself. And to Liam and Charlie in the booth. And you, listener, Sunday. Oh, it is Sunday, isn't it? We've just done the Sunday one. When we're in next... Oh, Tuesday, we've got our European edition of the Totally Football Show and big games to discuss there as well. The Madrid derby, Derby d'Italia, Inter Juventus, and much, much more. So uh, do join us for that. Uh, for now, though, uh, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.